everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on the second episode of the Slice of Entrepreneurship podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Joining me today is Paul Barnhurst, aka the FPNA guy. Paul, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing today, Jared? I am fantastic. I'm fantastic. I made a comment to you when we were talking a little bit before. I think I need to go shave my beard because it's being put to shame. But other than that, I'm good. Uh, you know, just keep growing it. Before you know it, it'll be longer than mine. I did that during the pandemic. Uh, it didn't look like yours, though. It was, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you know, it, like I used to have curly hair too. It doesn't like grow down; it grows out. So, <laughs> uh, with with me. So, um, but anyway, really excited to have you here today. Would love if you could tell us a little bit about your background to start off, and then we'll, we'll go into some some interesting topics here today. Yeah, so I'll give you kind of the quick rundown. You know, I started my career in procurement working for the government. Pretty quickly said, that's not where I see myself for a career. Moved over doing a little bit of data, data analysis. Went back to school and ended up doing a MBA in finance and a Master of Science in Information Management. And then went to work for American Express. You know, an opportunity came open in FP&A. And I'm like, hey, this sounds interesting. And mostly it was a promotion. So I was like, all right, if I can get this, great. And I got the job and I've been doing FP&A for the last 12 years. Worked for a few different companies, worked for American Express, Solera, global uh, B2B automotive SaaS company, and then worked for DigiCert and then went out on my own about a year ago. You know, and I really do, I do a few things. I do some content creation. I have a podcast, FP&A Today. I do consulting and then I also do training. I do FP&A training, Excel training, data visualization. So that's kind of a little bit about me and, and my business. Thank you for, for sharing that. Yeah, it's... I think depending on who who listens, people either love or or hate FPNA. <laughs> and you know, I remember in the in the early entrepreneur days putting together that model, right? Where um, I've had to do it both ways: putting together a model where I have the right information, I know that I know what the business is going to do, right? So I have more, more predictability. But then also having to put together a model you know, that brings you near tears because uh, you don't have all the pieces, but you have to put all the pieces together. So would love to, to start off today's conversation with, tell us the importance of FP&A first, and then we'll go into some other stuff. Yeah. So, you know, FP&A, right, financial planning and analysis, and the importance of it, it becomes more important as businesses really start to grow and scale. You know, day one, that model's often built by the founder. You know, year two, you might need someone, you know, full-time finance person, depending on, you know, kind of how you're growing. But really, FP&A today, there's a couple things. There's the budgeting and forecasting that's important. But where it really becomes important is FP&A sits in an area where they're one of the few people that see the entire business. They work with all the different pieces, and so they can do a lot of analysis and really create value. You're helping with sales operations and digging in and understanding those numbers and helping the marketing team and you know, all the different parts of the business. So I think as much as the budget and forecast is obviously a very important part and it's important to plan. I think where a lot of the value is being seen today is in the analysis, right? There's so much data that we're all trying to figure out how do I best leverage the data? And I think FP&A is in a unique position to really help with that and help with, you know, standardizing metrics and a lot of those type of things that often everybody has a different opinion on. And Talk us through, Paul, how I want to look at it from both lens, uh, from both angles, I guess you could say. 
how should companies be thinking about FP&A in the early days versus in the later stages? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, a lot of it depends on the, some depends on the complexity of the company and the industry, but, you know, as a general, let's take, you know, kind of the SaaS industry, a lot of technology. Often what will happen is, you know, pre-seed, seed, you're not going to have a dedicated FP&A person. You might have a CFO, probably don't. Odds are you have a fractional CFO and you use a bookkeeping service. You may not even have the fractional CFO if the founder has any finance experience, but use a bookkeeping service. You're probably using QuickBooks or maybe Zero, you know, very kind of basic accounting system. Then as you start to scale, you get to that series A. All right, you know, probably want a fractional CFO. Toward the end of series A, series B, that's usually when you have someone full-time finance, you might have one FP&A person. And you keep scaling, you know, you get series C, series D, you're getting closer to that pre-IPO, you're going to have a whole team. So usually kind of the path goes, you start with the bookkeeping, then you usually kind of have some kind of fractional CFOs doing controllership, they're doing FP&A, they're doing some accounting, you have a dedicated finance person. And then at some point, you know, depending on the revenue, but I'd say most companies, you know, think SaaS software, probably that 10 to 20 million, somewhere in there, they're hiring that first FP&A person, but often they're wearing more hats than just FP&A, right? They might be doing procurement. And I'd be doing a little bit of rev ops or sales ops or, you know, a lot of different things. And where, where do these companies that, that you work with or, or even the ones that you just have, have seen in the past, where do companies tend to get tripped up when it comes to putting together these models? Yeah. So I think, you know, big challenge with the model first, you know, is do you even have the data to do it? Often small companies do a really bad job of their accounting. They end up building up some accounting debt. So when they first bring in that fractional CFO or that FP&A person, like I had someone on my podcast, and they were talking about how first thing they do, and it often takes them six months, is clean up the data because they have a mix of cash and accrual and they're just not even able to build a, a reasonable forecast because they really don't understand any of the timing or the revenue because they've done a poor job of tracking their financials. So often that's one of the biggest areas they get tripped up on when someone comes in full-time, you know, obviously from day one of building a model, I think some of the big challenges are the assumptions because you really don't know, right? Yeah. You might know the size of the addressable market, but okay. Does that mean I can get 1%, 2%? And those have huge differences, right? That 1% might be the difference between 10 million and, you know, 20 million or 30 million or wh whatever it can have huge differences. And when you're raising funds, you want to be real careful what you think you can do. Yeah. Cause I mean, what, what I've seen with, what I've seen with other entrepreneurs is it's in that first model that mm -hmm. you share with investors, cause they're going to want that in the due diligence. It's always, it's not so much to about the, the end result, but what are the explanations? What is your thought process with those assumptions that you mentioned? Um, I think sometimes people overthink it too. Mm -hmm. I know I certainly did in the early yep. days when I was putting together these models. I'm like, or or you over you you overestimate, which just yep. entrepreneurs in general, right? Like we want to yeah. always think that there that the future can be a lot bigger than we're going to conquer the be. world. That that mentality and it can come into the financials. Yeah, it, it's so I I. I think too, one of the things I wish I knew, and you, you said it perfectly, right, is uh, you're, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not saying for these early stage companies, when you bring on that fractional CFO at some point, it's 
it's more common than not that they're going to have some accounting debt. Is that fair to mm-hmm. say? Correct. Yes. Okay. So entrepreneurs should be, sh- should not feel super over like whelmed to the point like I- I'm in a class of my own. Maybe I, you know, wh- why did I set it up this way? That's, that's more common than everyone having it figured it out out of the yeah the unfortunately it is more common it's getting better because the tools are getting a lot better right the software the technology makes it much easier to classify what i recommend is you know they should think about it the problem is most of them don't because you know that accounting debt makes it take longer to raise funds because let's say you turn over the model you turn over your financials and they're a mess you're gonna have a lot more questions you're gonna extend the due diligence so it's worth you know, spending a little extra to get somebody good. You obviously want to manage that because you got to scale and, you know, sales comes first and product. But I had a guy on the, on my podcast, Casey Wu, that's worked with a lot of startups. And he talked about, you have technical debt, you're, you know, very similar to that. You have accounting debt, you have finance debt. And his advice was, you know, hire someone in-house as early as reasonably possible. I mean, obviously you have to scale to a certain point. Those first days are going to be the founder, but don't, don't put it off to the very last thing you do because there's a lot of value that can come from FP&A. So it's a, I would say most probably wait longer than they should and don't think about it enough, but don't completely stress and be like, okay, my accounting is a mess. All, yeah, all hope is lost. Because no, the reality is that's pretty common. We, we want to talk a little bit here today too about some of the tools in this space that you were just saying that we didn't really have before, but we do now. It, 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 there's a lot, right? There's the, mm-hmm. the new types of credit card companies that make it a lot easier for startups to have access to some sort of credit. Uh, there's the, the different types of accounting software that currently exists. There's the um, project like FPNA tools like um, that uh, Brex just acquired one, like Pry and, and some of these other ones. Talk us through some of these tools that that you've either used or you've taken a look at and, and why you like them. Yeah, so definitely there, there's a ton of opportunity in the planning, just forecasting and planning tools. If we just take that area for a second, you know, it used to be, you look 20 years ago, you had to be a multinational company and you went on IBM, Oracle, or SAP is your planning tool. And then you started to see other tools come into place, your planfuls, your adaptives, but they were still focused on the mid market. You know, you, maybe it was 20 million and above type of thing you know, 50 million and above. Today, you have the entire range. You have a lot of tools out there and very much ones designed for sometimes even, you know, pre-revenue to help you build the model. Um, you know, Bear Metrics has one called Flight Path that they have in their tool. Um, Forecaster does one where they provide CFO services in addition to help building your model in the early days and helping you con- connect you with VCs. Um, Ginny is another one that offers some bookkeeping services. Sturpy's one out there that, you know, there's a lot of them that are designed for those very early days. And then, you know, as you scale, you might go to something else and eventually, you know, beyond that. So people can always start with Excel, extremely flexible and expensive or Google sheets, but there are options, you know, equals even as a spreadsheet out there, there's some financial modeling tools that have a freemium model, such as causal, you know, Rhythmix is coming to the to the market. So just on the planning side, there's a ton of opportunity. On the accounting side, we're seeing more and more tools, you know. And so I think it's important to look at it and decide when is it a big enough pain point that spending whatever it might be, you know, $100, a couple hundred dollars a month is worth it. And that's going to be different for each business when that pain point is. 
Yeah, I, I haven't used all of those, but I've used Pry uh, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Really, uh, before they're uh, before they were acquired by Brex, um, but in my last company, we used them quite a bit. And it's just, I, I think what some of them allow you to do is get out of your own way as an entrepreneur too. From that end, yep. Um, a little a little cleaner for me. Not not that Excel usually is still a, an excellent choice, right, for what you can do with it. Yeah. But I really liked it for the hiring plan. So mm-hmm. just already having that, that tab built out, right, where yeah. uh, I can add in the promotions and everything like that. And then um, I, I haven't had the opportunity to use them. Um, we got acquired right before we were probably going to use them, but like a, a profit well. Like I, yep. I always I like some of these softwares for the insights that they provide for you as well. Yeah, there's a lot of great ones out there. ProfitWell was bought by, I think, Paddle. They're owned by Paddle now. You know, there's Fact is another one that provides analytics and provides some free pieces to help with some of, you know, your financials. I think Zenny, you know, there's, a, there's just, I mean, more than I could, you know, mention, right? We could spend the whole show just mentioning shows, but they can make it a lot easier. And some of them are, you know, geared toward just the founder, which is really nice. Helping those early stage founders with modeling like Pry. Right. Yeah, sure. You can go into Excel, but many founders shouldn't shouldn't be modeling in Excel. It's just not a skill they have. And so let's find ways to make it easier for them. Yeah. And I think some of these softwares also make it easier for that first hire that does come in. Mm-hmm. Like if a lot more founders used maybe a tool instead of getting frustrated in, in an Excel because it's not their strong point, um, maybe maybe it is a pry or something, right? I, I think they could get a much more realistic looking model. And then that that fractional CFO can come in and, and maybe understand a little more quickly what they were trying to do with it than, you know, them struggling potentially in, in Excel or they could be an Excel whiz, right? Some, some, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I found a, a lot of founders that are on the engineer side of things, whether they were well-versed in Excel or not, right. They can usually put together a pretty nice model just because they're so analytical. Correct. No, completely agree. I mean, I found engineers make some of the best FP&A people I've worked with because they have such solid analytical, they have usually very good Excel, you know, really good math skills. So some of the best FP&A people I've worked with have almost all been from an engineering background. Yeah. And I think on the engineering side, one of the things though, that maybe is the one con is sometimes um, the model is almost... uh, (laughs) I don't want to say too realistic in the early days, but um, you you have to be a little more aggressive, I would say, when you're building out these models. Like explain it. And and most investors, when they see that model, are not going to look at it and be like, oh yeah, they're 100% going to hit everything that they say here. It was like what you and I were talking about earlier, right? They still, they Mm -hmm. care more about the context of it. And did you think through exactly what these costs are going to be? How you're, I, I, when I look at a model, I'm more care, I, I care more about like what's the go to market look like? Yep. How do they think they're going to get in front of these people? Because that tells me, are they, um, are, are they thinking realistically or are they in a fantasy world? Yeah, it comes down to the assumptions in the early model. Don't over engineer it. You know, keep a high level, focus on assumptions that you can support and that have logic behind them. Yeah, could they? Can people challenge them? Of course they can. Hence why they're assumptions, right? Nobody's model's perfect. As I had one time I was in like, I think it was within a dollar one month on, you know, a $10 million forecast. I was like, you're really good at forecasting. I go, no, if I was that good, I'd be sitting on a beach somewhere because I would have bet on the stock market. I wouldn't be working here. I just got lucky. 
right? Yes, I try to be directionally correct. But beyond that, it's to help plan. It's not about being right and exactly hitting a number because you're not going to. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, Paul, as as we wrap up here, what what is really the tipping point in FPNA uh, when, when it comes to scaling? So we talked a little bit about some software um, and you, you earlier in the show, you kind of mentioned there's a point where you need to bring in that fractional CFO. Um, what, what else are we missing here? Um, in terms of, you know, when, when is the, the bell start ringing that there's a couple things that need to be done? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, you know, first thing that you need to look at is you're going to hit a point where you need to start having purpose built tools, right? First, for the first one for most people is your accounting system. You need something to record your journal entries. You know, for me, I'm still at the point where I can do it in Excel. I have so little in the way of invoicing and things, but you know, or like a CRM, like when do you, when do you bring that in? So I think the tipping point, really, you have to balance cost versus efficiency and pain. Not so much size, because if you have a really simple business, sometimes people can have a million dollar business that they're running almost everything through Excel. And because they may only have a couple customers, it may work. But then you have someone else who has a million dollar business that may be dealing with thousands of customers and they need, you know, a pretty complicated tech stack. So the way I look at that tipping point is it's a little different for each business, but it really comes down to when is it becoming a pain point and distracting you from what's important, right? As a founder, dealing with the the financials, yes, to a certain extent, because you need to help the assumptions and things. But if it's becoming a big part of your job, then you need to find a solution. Is that bringing in a tool? Is that bringing in, you know, a fractional CFO? Is that bringing in both? Kind of depends on your skill set and what the team thinks. But I think those are the questions to ask as you go along is how painful is this becoming and what would be the cost and the value I can get out of adding someone? So it's kind of that cost benefit analysis, which is always hard, right? They're a little squishy, but you need to be constantly thinking about that as you scale. And the earlier generally it's worth itself, good FP&A will pay for itself. And I'll share one quick example. I had Scott talk to Scott Stouffer, who's the uh, C- CEO of Scale Matters. And he said the company, the best companies he sees that are scaling have an FP&A team that's involved in the business. They're asking questions about go-to-market. He goes, those are almost always the best performing companies when you have FP&A really digging in and doing analysis. And that's what people need to realize. They'll pay for themselves because they'll do a lot of good work and bring in insights that you may not recognize otherwise. Super interesting. Yeah, it's... uh... I want to thank you, Paul, for uh, this is probably the most fun I've had talking about anything FPNA. Not to not to say it's it's boring or anything, right? But that's my job, right? See, (laughs) yeah, that's why you you have the uh, it's the guys smiling, all smiles. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, well. Hopefully, we can have you on again in the future. But really appreciate you. Uh, you know, spending some time with us here today. Um, where can people learn more about you? Also, you know, shout out your podcast if people want to continue listening to more things uh, FPNA related. Sure. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. So first, LinkedIn. You can find me there. You know, Paul Barnhurst. I'm known as the FPNA guy. My website is the guy.com. You can find my podcast there. You can find it on you know any podcast platform. It's called FPNA Today, and we you know do weekly episodes. Love it. Well, excited to stay in touch with you, Paul, and uh, you know, wish you all the best of luck. Thank you. Appreciate that, and good luck with your uh, podcast and all things you have going on. <laughs> <laughs>